Good morning, GCC family. It's great to be with you uh, today to be able to worship the Lord. I trust you're doing well. You've had a good week, and, and you've come prepared uh, to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wanted to begin this morning with some scripture. It is Palm Sunday, and we have reason to celebrate. And uh, next week, we will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope you come prepared uh, to do that. You anticipate that. Uh, COVID-19 cannot stop us from celebrating uh, the resurrected Christ. And so I, I trust you're, you're preparing yourself even now as we look forward to and anticipate Easter Sunday. I'm going to begin by reading Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and then transition to Matthew 21. So if you wanted to turn to Matthew 21, that would be beneficial for you. But I'm going to begin in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Listen to the triumphal entry as we have it recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. When they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, which was at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, uh, going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, now listen to this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, that word Hosanna is an interesting word. It literally means to save or please save. You know, a lot of times we think of it in the context of maybe hallelujah, but the word itself means to please save. In fact, that's what the psalmist says in one, uh, Psalm 118.25, please save. And so that's what is being uh, proclaimed here, please save. Verse 10 said, when he had entered Jerusalem... All the city was stirred, saying, who is this? You know that word stirred only occurs one other time in the New Testament, that form of that word. And it's in the context of Matthew 27, right after our Lord was crucified and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook. And that's what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. The earth shakes, Right? We look at our world today, and our world is shaking. And they are disturbed. 
um, about what's going on with this COVID-19. Guys, listen, we can rest confidently knowing that just as these folks were celebrating, celebrating the king, crying, Hosanna, please save us. If you're in Christ today, you've been saved. And nothing can take away what you have. No one can remove the salvation that you enjoy. You are secure in Christ. What an what a awesome God we serve. And I trust that you've come prepared this morning to worship the King. Um, I wanted to give just a, a brief announcement about next week's service. Um, because we're having to meet apart from one another, um, one of the things that we don't want to do is kind of give in and say, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. But I really want to keep pace with the things we can do. And one of the things that we can do uh, together is have communion together. You can do that in your home, and we're going to do that next week. And so this week when you're out at the store, I'd encourage you to maybe pick up a loaf of bread if you can find one. If not, you know, you can have crackers, get a cracker. But have that and some juice, and next week we're going to celebrate. Celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Celebrate what he did for us on the cross at Calvary. And so you come prepared next Sunday to do that. And we'll do that at the end of the service. And um, I trust it will be a special time for you as you're in your homes to be able to do that with your family. And you may even have an opportunity next week as you're doing that with your family to explain a little bit more about that with your children. And so... I trust it will be a great time for you guys. It's going to be a great time for, for those few of us that are gathered here together uh, next Sunday in this building. But you'll be in your homes, and we don't want to stop celebrating. We want to celebrate our Lord and our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together uh, this morning. Father, we just want to thank you so much for another day of life and we thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to celebrate today. We can celebrate every day if we belong to you. Um, nothing prohibits us from doing that. We're thankful for the freedom that we have to be able to celebrate in this season. Um, as we look back and we read today, as it was prophesied, Jesus Christ would come into Jerusalem um, and the people would cry out, save us. And we know, Lord, that and their, men, their mentality at that point was save us from this Roman oppression. We think about the children of Israel crying out because they were in slavery and, and you brought a deliverer. And um, Lord, you would bring uh, yourself to Jerusalem. And, and, and Lord, you would be the salvation that these people needed. Um, and, and in Matthew's gospel, back in chapter 1, um, around the birth of Christ, it says um, that he would save his people from their sins. And so, Lord, we know that the great salvation that we enjoy if we're in Christ is being uh, freed from the penalty of sin. And so we just want to say thank you so much this morning. Thank you so much for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning I want to pray for our leaders in our country. Lord, I want to begin by praying for President Trump. We commit this man to you, Lord. Um, as your word tells us, you put rulers on thrones and you take them off. Lord, we just want to commit him to you and 
Help us to be faithful, ever faithful, to pray for this man, to, to pray for Vice President Pence, for all those who are in leadership on a national level, but we also pray for our leadership on a state level, for Governor Ivey and those in our community that lead us. We just pray for great wisdom for these folks. And Lord, I pray that in their lives, um, you would just minister to them, that you would show them yourself, that they would come to a recognition, if they don't already have this, that you're in control of all things, that nothing happens in our lives without it first passing through your hands. And Lord, I know that this morning, and like it has been the last two weeks, it's a little different for us. But can we just pause and say thank you? Thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to meet together today. And so I pray for our people this morning that are in their homes, and I pray that this today will be a great celebration of Jesus Christ, who is alone King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray all this for his glory in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And uh, we're really grateful uh, to be able to have a few of us that can gather uh, here today uh, to lead you in worship. We are maintaining our six feet separation, so you guys don't have to worry about that. Um, and, you know, Jesus Christ coming, I was saying in our prayer time earlier, I was thinking about it, that uh, it's, the, it's the seminal event in all of human history, and it changes everything. And we want to lift his name high this morning. We're going to sing about him, what he's done. Uh, but just to facilitate uh, a spirit of gratefulness, a sense of awe, I'd like you guys, as we worship together, to think about uh, where you were uh, when you came to the Lord first. Um, when he found you, where you are today, and just think about where you would be if he had not, and uh, just um, think about those thoughts, and hopefully we pray that, uh, you know, together we'll have a sense of gratitude, a sense of awe of who he is as we worship the Lord together this morning.
years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. And I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. There your mercy and your grace was free. There your pardon multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given Jesus everything. Now I gladly own Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing to Calvary. Oh, there Your mercy and Your grace was free. There Your pardon multiplied to me. Where my burden so found liberty at Calvary, at Calvary. For the love that drew salvation's plan, for the grace that brought it down to man. For the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Oh, there your mercy and your grace was free. There your pardon multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Your mercy and your grace was free, and your pardon multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary, at Calvary. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. But you, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son. You drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sins. 
Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought here. You made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious gifts. Mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're in a Sit it at your table, Jesus, thank you. Oh, thank you. Lover of my soul, I want to guys is a new one by Casting Crown and it just kind of encapsulates everything that we've been talking about so you guys worship with us as we sing this song called Love Move Hearts This is the story of a runaway with no way home and no way out I threw the best of me away I had my chance, it's too late now Too far gone and too ashamed To think that you'd still know my name But love refused to let my story in that way 
You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance, even if I wanted to. You came running after me when anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved first. Oh, oh, oh. What kind of grace, relentless grace, chasing this rebel down? Crawl into this prisoner's cage Take my hand and pull me out You knew I couldn't make the change So you became the change in me And now I live to tell the story Of the God who rescues You didn't wait for me To find my way to you I couldn't cross that distance, even if I wanted to. You came running after me. Anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved from the throne to the manger, from a manger to the grave. Your cross is the proof. Love made the first move From a grave man to keep you To a stone rolled away Your cross is the proof Love made the first move I remember where you found me I'm amazed by where I stand Your cross is the proof Love made the first move You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance, even if I wanted to. You came running after me. Anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved first. was incredible. I love that last song. That was a, that's a new one. Um, a lot of times my reactions are just wow, right? I mean, I look at something like that and I think, what a message. And um, that's what the Lord kind of impressed on me this last week as I was thinking about uh, what he led me to in terms of Second Timothy. I just was like, wow, Lord, you just, you just certainly are in control. You guided me to this book. For such a time as this, I believe that with all my heart. And I wanted to um, continue in our study this morning, and I want you to take your Bibles. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, 
You know, there are times where you may have received a letter from someone, and as you're reading through the letter, they say something that you just didn't expect. Um, in fact, you didn't expect it so much that you went back and read the sentence or the paragraph again going, I can't believe they wrote that. Um, sometimes you're maybe in a conversation and, and someone says something to you and you're like, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that out of their mouth. And haven't, hadn't this happened to you where you're like, can you say that again? <laughs> can you repeat that? You're just shocked at, at what they've said. You're shocked by what's been written in a letter. Um, you look at what's going on with uh, COVID-19, we're all shocked, right? And we're shocked at the things that have been taken from us and stripped from us. Um, sometimes the unexpected happens. And um, we look at it and, and we just are, we marvel because of what somebody has said or somebody has written or something that's going on. Well, when I come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I'm just not expecting this. <laughs> I'm not expecting this language. Because this man is not staying, as we've said. He's not staying in the Hilton. He's not comfortable. He's not in his living room when he writes this letter to Timothy. He's in a dark, cold. We know he's cold because he tells Timothy, bring my cloak. I've left it at Troas. So we know he's cold, we know it's dark, we know he's lonely, and that's the setting. And so to begin, the way he does verse 3, I mean, the only response I have is just, wow. Notice what it says, verse 3, chapter 1. I thank God. Maybe those are words you're going, wow, how did this guy, how is this going on? That he would even include the word thank in the entire letter. We've had things like that happen to us where somebody has been thankful for something and you stare at them and you go, did you just say you were thankful for that? Again, you kind of want them to repeat it going, can you please repeat that? I mean, you come to this verse and you go, Paul's thankful? But he is. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that he is a thankful apostle. Remember, that's how he's referred to himself. He says, I thank God. You know, being thankful was a habit in Paul's life. How about yours? I, I can't answer for your life. I'm responsible for my own. But when I look at Paul's life, he was very careful to give thanks to the Lord. It was a spiritual discipline in his life. And he's doing it right now as we're reading it. He's doing it in a situation where many of us would go, what are you doing? Because you would expect the letter to begin with, hey, look, I'm in this deep, dark dungeon, and, and I'm lonely, and I'm this, and I'm that. But that's not the way he starts. He says, I thank God. I thank God. And if you see, as you see the verses there I've given to you, it was a lifestyle. It was central in Paul's life. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he's thanking the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. And there are many more, and you can investigate those. I think my favorite one is Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. I just love the language. He says, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exist among you and your love for all the saints. Notice the next phrase. Do not cease giving thanks for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Man, listen. If you were in Paul's arena, you knew this man was a thankful man and a praying man. He says, while making mention of you in my prayers. I don't cease to give thanks for you. I wrote down something I think worth our consideration, especially going through what we are now as a, as a country. A thankful heart is strong medicine. <laughs> it, it is. A thankful heart is strong medicine. It suppresses what comes natural. You know what comes natural? Not being thankful. You know what it is? Complaining. That comes natural. But this discipline of, of giving thanks is something that you and I have to pray about on a daily basis. Lord, help me to be thankful. Even in a season like this, with so much uncertainty, I can give thanks because you're on the throne. How many times over the last three or four weeks have you not only give, given thanks to the Lord for who he is, but giving thanks to the Lord for his body. I mean, I miss seeing you guys. I miss being with you face to face. But has it struck you? I know it has over these last few weeks. Wow, Lord, I, I thank you for who you are, but wow, I am really thankful for your body. I'm thankful for those people that I get to fellowship with each and every week. Certainly this time that we're going through, we've got plenty of time to pause and think about that discipline called thankfulness. It's interesting that not only was it a part of Paul's life, just who he was, but the apostle gives clear instruction to the church on the importance of being thankful. It's clear. I mean, it's crystal clear. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. In everything give thanks. I mean, one has to pause whenever they look at that phrase. In everything give thanks. Hold on a second. Paul, this has to be a mistake. In everything give thanks? It's not a mistake at all. We can give thanks, listen to me, we can give thanks in times like this, like we're going through now, knowing this with confidence that the Lord is on the throne. He's on the throne. This is not a surprise to him what's going on in our country and around the world. In a lot of ways, it's his mercy. mercy. He wants people to come to him. Paul says, in everything give thanks. Notice this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We talked a little bit about that last week, this issue of God's will. Well, there it is. 
There's at least one thing for my consideration. It is God's will for me to give thanks in everything. And I can give thanks in everything because he's on the throne. But it does raise the question, what was Paul's secret to giving thanks in all things? What was his secret? How in the world did this man continually in his life give thanks? I think one answer, we won't say it's exclusive, but I think one answer is found in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Most people are familiar with verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's in front of that that maybe you're not as aware of as you should be. Paul writes this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned... Boy, underscore that. Underscore that. I have learned. And isn't that the Christian life? (laughs) I have learned. I am learning. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. It's learned. I know how to get along with humble means, he says. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned learn there it is again i have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need and here it is here's the answer i can do all things through christ it's i can do all things through christ i mean man the world wants to put his arms up and say i can do it i can do it i can do it but listen to me we know that man in his own strength can't do it And as believers, what an advantage we have. Because right now we're going through crisis. And we look at the world and we go, how are they dealing with that? They're not. They're anxious. They're fearful. They're without hope. But you and I, we sit in a different arena, don't we? I mean... We are learning how to deal with crisis. We're learning how to deal with inconvenience. We know how it is to live in prosperity. My goodness gracious. I mean, you think about our lives. We live in prosperity. But now, a lot of these things that, that we are used to doing and being connected to have been stripped away We are living in times of uncertainty, but you know what? I got great news for you. We can live, whether it's in prosperity or having nothing, we can do it through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's been a little disconcerting for me in the last few weeks is to see believers that are responding in maybe some unusual ways. Listen, I'm human just like you are. And there's times where I have concern. There's times when I have anxiety. Um, There's times when I guess I've been fearful a little. But we can do all things through Christ. And that's Paul's point. Paul's point here is, hey, I've learned how to get along with humble means, and I've learned how to live in prosperity. I know how to do it. 
And the only way to do it is through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. So that's the answer to Paul's attitude of thanksgiving. I like what Albert Barnes says. He, he wrote this. We can always find something to be thankful for. I saw somebody post on uh, Facebook. I think it was just last night or this morning. There is always, 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 always. That just went forever. Always something to be thankful for. Albert Barnes says we can always find something to be thankful for. And there may be reasons why we ought to be thankful for even those dispensations or times which appear dark and frowning. I mean, think of it. <laughs> uh, Paul is in a dark moment, and yet he's given thanks. Um, I like what Johnny Erickson Tata said. By the way, who's a quadriplegic. Now, think about that for a minute. We can't even understand, begin to understand the limitations that that brings to her. And yet she wrote this. I love what she wrote. Giving thanks is not a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of feeling, she says, thankful. It is a matter of obedience. <laughs> it's not a matter of feeling thankful. And you think about the way our world is, people base everything on what? A lot of things on be, how they feel. I mean, if we were going to take the context of 2 Timothy and go, well, how does Paul feel? We probably wouldn't be reading, I thank God. But his thankfulness is not based on the way he was feeling. His thankfulness is based on obedience to the Lord. Well... He was a thankful apostle, a thankful apostle who, according to the scriptures here in 2 Timothy, was a serving apostle. Look what it says. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So this thankful man was a serving man. Notice he says, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. It's interesting that phrase, I serve, it's present tense. It underscores the lifestyle of Paul. He still views himself in that dark, cold dungeon as serving the Lord. The definition of the word serve means the worship of the Lord. It can also mean to serve the Lord. I like what uh, John MacArthur writes about this word. He says, serving goes beyond praising God through song or participating in a worship service. The spirit of worship is living a life of obedient service to God. That's what it is. You know, it's interesting if you go back and you read through the Exodus, which my family we're doing right now, we're reading through the book of Exodus. Um, when Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh with the message of let my people go, God says let my people go. You know what the next part of that is? That they may serve me. Let them go that they may serve me. That they may worship me. 
You know what's awesome about this thought of worship? Is that worship can be done every day right where you are. Right now, we can't go very many places, can we? But you can, let's use our imagination, you can go outside in the front yard and worship the Lord. And thank Him for His creation. Lord, we thank You for these beautiful days that we've been having lately. Lord, we thank You for Your creation. Maybe we walk out the back door and go to the backyard. Lord, we're so, so thankful that even though we're going through this crisis in our country... We are thankful that you are in control. We worship you. We serve you. So we're not limited in our worship. So many folks think about worship, they think about the setting right here in this building. You know, I go worship one day a week. No, 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 no. It's, hey, I have the privilege of obedient service to the Lord every day. Every day. That was the mindset of the Apostle Paul. He was still serving the Lord in that cold, dark dungeon. Then he says, notice, he says, serving the Lord with a clear conscience. Serving the Lord with a clear conscience. Is the big one. Somebody wrote, a good conscience is a soft pillow. <laughs> All right, a good conscience is a soft pillow. Listen, when you when you when you have a good conscience, it is a soft pillow, and you rest well. On the other hand, John Calvin wrote these words: "There is no greater torment than a guilty conscience." That ever happened to you? It's happened to me, right? I've had a guilty conscience, and boy, that guilty conscience will wear you out. It's rougher than doing a 5K or a 10K. It will flat out wear you out. And when you study the meaning of the term, it's the, this picture of a courtroom. It's really strange. It's one's own witness. The word picture is of one's conscience taking the stand. Ugh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How would your conscience do right now taking the stand? I mean, you think about that. It's a pretty wild thought. Paul says he's doing that with a clear conscience. So I started thinking about that. Wow, that's a pretty big statement. I'm serving the Lord with a clear conscience. That's a huge statement. When you think about the gravity of that statement, in fact, you can take all afternoon and think about that. How important is it to have a clear conscience? Really important. In fact, there's two indicators that Paul had a clear conscience. There's several, but I want to share two of them with you. Chapter 4, verse 7, listen to what Paul wrote. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That is a clear conscience. <laughs> He's saying, I've completed what the Lord's given me today. There's, I think, a pretty significant example of this. And so I'm going to ask you to please, I'm watching you. Right now I'm watching you. I can see you. So I, I know if you're not turning, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. I want to show you something here. 
Paul had a clear conscience about something that you and I need to have a clear conscience about. Guys, listen to me. We are living in a time where the gospel is confusing to people. We need to make sure that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've held nothing back. You know, people are out there in our world today, they just want good news. Can we agree on that? They just want good news. Can I tell you something? As believers, we have good news for them. Jesus Christ died for their sins. Now, they may not like that word sin, but here's the good part. You can just tell them, first of all, hey, I'm a sinner. But this is what the Bible says, all have sinned. Well, you know, Paul writes about this clear conscience. I want you to go back with me. Remember I told you to turn to Acts 20. I can see you. Chris Laughlin, you're in your pink pajamas and you're not turning to Acts chapter 20, my brother. I need you to do that. Acts chapter 20, look at this. Paul had called the Ephesian elders to Miletus. And he writes this, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. And with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now look at this. I want you to see this. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, I didn't hold back. And teaching you publicly from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, he's just laying it out there. This is what I'm doing. He's being accountable. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Wow. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, great. This is great news. Bonds and afflictions await me. But look at this. He says... But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Ooh, this man got it. So that I may finish my course. We just read those words. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Now listen, guys, listen, that is so weighty. The ministry that you and I have is from the Lord Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly. Of the gospel of the grace of God. Look at this. And now behold I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom. Will no longer see my face. Therefore. Now listen to this. This is where it is. Therefore I testify to you this day. That I am innocent. Innocent of the blood of all men. Why can he say that? Well verse 27 tells us. Because. The word for means literally because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. You know what Paul's saying? This is exactly what Paul's saying. This is the word picture. I took this book, which for him was the Old Testament, and I gave you everything. Everything that was given to me by the revelation of the Lord Jesus, I gave to you. And I gave to you everything that was written by the prophets. I gave it all to you. I didn't hold back. I was watching a man being interviewed last Sunday after I went home. He's a well-known pastor. 
in these United States. A lot of people see him around the world, millions of people. That man cannot say, I have declared the whole counsel of God. He cannot do that. For 10 minutes, this man was interviewed, this leader, this pastor. Not one time did he reference the Lord. How do you do that? And then, later in the week, I saw Franklin Graham. You know what Franklin Graham does? He declares the gospel. That's what he's supposed to do. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm serving with a clear conscience. Put me on the stand, I'm clean. I'm clear. The apostle had nothing to be ashamed of. He was serving the Lord with a clear conscience. Well, we also see that this thankful apostle was not only serving the Lord, but he was praying continually. Notice what he says, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. It's interesting, he starts with night. I might not hit you like it hit me. I was like, I wonder why Paul starts with night, not day. Because when we think about a 24-hour period, we think about day and night. But I don't know if I ever go day, then night, or night, then day. I've never really tested myself on that. But Paul here goes night and day. It's almost like, hey, the hours are just kind of running into themselves, night and day. In other words, all the time I'm praying for you. Hey, right now, what we're living through, I mean, you're probably getting your days mixed up, aren't you? And maybe even your nights and your days mixed up. Like, you don't know when it's nighttime and daytime. I mean, I've got two in my home that are living with me. And some of them are staying up till 3 and 4 in the morning. And I'm like, hello. You know, but we just don't have the restrictions that we've been used to. But Paul's saying here in this context, he's saying, hey, listen, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Don't miss this. Paul's saying this, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. His focus is not on himself. It's on Timothy. It's on Timothy. I put there for your notes, constantly remember his present tense, meaning that despite the apostle's awful circumstances, his spiritual discipline was still on display. Hey, guys, listen. You know what the Lord's looking for from us right now? Even though the circumstances aren't real great, he's looking for that spiritual discipline in you and me. That says, you know what, Lord, I need to come to you. Listen, you have people crying out every day in, this, in the context of what we're going through as a nation. I mean, what a great time it is for us to display to others who our trust is in. What a time it is to, to display that spiritual discipline of prayer. Because your children are watching and your grandchildren are watching. Those people that are around you that can be right now. It's interesting that Paul, as you, as you study his life, he consistently modeled a life of prayer. And we don't have time for it this morning, but you know what's interesting to me about Paul's prayer life is the depth of his prayers. Now listen, you can pray that your head will stop hurting or that your big toe will stop hurting and all that kind of stuff, and that's grand. I mean, I, I just recently had an ingrown toenail on my right big toe, and they cut that puppy out, and that thing was about like that and like that, and it hurt. 
right? And I'm like, Lord, please help me through this. This guy pulls out this instrument, and I'm like, Lord, please help him to make the right cut, right? I mean, listen, we, we completely understand what it is to pray for those things that concern us. But Paul had a depth to his prayer life for believers that I think you and I kind of need to jump on board with. Notice his prayer in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is just one example. Notice how he's praying for them. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now look at the content of his prayer. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Ugh. This is not like praying for somebody's big toe. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk, so the spiritual wisdom and understanding have a purpose. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm praying that for you. That's what he's saying. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Whoa, these are deep things. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh my goodness gracious. I mean Paul is taking a shovel and he's digging deep. You ever walked up to somebody and said hey I'm praying that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that in my entire life. But wouldn't it be grand to hear? It would be kind of intimidating, wouldn't it? You'd be going, what is this person going to think of me? It didn't seem like Paul was too awful fired concerned about that. You know what he was all fired concerned about? The depth of their walk. Because listen to me, the only thing that's going to get you through this crisis right now is a focus on Jesus Christ and his word. That's it. You know, people out there hunting for everything. Man, if I could just have this, if I could have that, if, I could, if they would just come up with this, if they'd just come up with that, then we'll all be okay. And you know what? There's only one in control, and it's not a doctor, and it's not a nurse. Now, we are thankful for the doctors and nurses. Let me pause and say that. They're on the front lines. Listen to me. But the one that's in control is not even our president. But it's the Lord. we need to consider in our lives. And I'll start with me first. Lord, how am I praying for this body? You know, the best thing I can pray for you is that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that's the best way you can pray for me. Well... Not only did he model a life of prayer, but the Bible says that he gave instruction on the importance of prayer. <laughs> I love the way Paul's life is. It's so refreshing because here's a man who was separated by the Lord as an apostle who 
clearly demonstrates a life of prayer, just like he demonstrated a life of thankfulness. And he gave instruction on being thankful, and he gave instruction on prayer. But you know what? He opened up his own life about those two things. It wasn't like he was standing over you and saying, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, pray, pray, pray. No, he was doing that. And you know what was happening? Paul could see the depth of that. And how it was impacting his own life. And he wanted it so bad for those that he loved. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's to be that lifestyle of prayer that's to take place. I gave you some scriptures there for your consideration. You can look up some of those this afternoon if you'd like to. But I wanted to read this one. Because it's so appropriate for right now. Listen to what Paul, Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Listen to me, I don't even know if you know your neighbor's. Or not. I have no idea. I don't live by you. But one of the things that's happening in this crisis, people are meeting their neighbors. (laughs) They're getting to know their neighbors, right? They're standing at the fence and talking to their neighbors. They hadn't had time to do that before. It's amazing. We have people that that we're talking to that maybe we haven't ever spoken to. And, And I'm looking at the crisis we're going through, and I'm going, Lord, what an opportunity to obey what you say here in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 1. Pray for all men. And then he gets more specific. For kings and all who are in authority. I made a little video this last week. I don't know if you guys watch those or not. But I made this little video and I was talking about the importance of praying for President Trump. We were watching the press conference one night this week. I don't remember what night. And it was like, oh my goodness, this man needs prayer. He's being bombarded on every side. Have you watched the press conferences? They're entertainment for sure. And some of the questions, I'm like, you asked that question yesterday. But I'm thinking, Lord, this man needs us to pray for him. Vice President Pence, he needs our prayers. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And then listen to what it says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. <laughs> this is good. The Lord wants us to have that mind that Paul had on prayer. That we would be obedient in that. That is a very difficult di- discipline. I have met more women in my lifetime who have that discipline. And it seems to surpass the men by leaps and bounds. And if you want to talk to me about that sometime, I might share some of the reasons I think that that's the case. But, wow. How many people in your life have you been exposed to that you could say, that's a prayer warrior. I know if I'm saying to that person, would you please pray for me? I know they're praying for me. I don't even have to question that. So, just like thankfulness is a discipline, having a Daily commitment to prayer is a spiritual discipline. Paul had that. He instructed it. He said, do it. Well, not only was he a 
thankful apostle who served. He was a thankful apostle that prayed, but he was a thankful apostle, apostle that looked and longed for face-to-face fellowship. Remember, we discussed this a few weeks ago. We won't spend much time on this, but notice what it says. Verse 4, longing to see you. Longing to see you. He says, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. That word longing means earnestly desiring something. Earnestly desiring something. And in the context of the passage, the Apostle Paul had an earnest desire for face-to-face fellowship. Can we relate to that now? Absolutely. Right? I mean, I'm seeing a few of my brothers and sister and sister in Christ today, but many of you are in your homes. I can't see you. I long for that face-to-face fellowship. And now maybe we can kind of identify with Paul. We're not in a deep, dark dungeon, and we're not cold, but we're missing face-to-face fellowship. There's a reason for it. I don't know all the reasons for it. But there's a reason for it. And if there's one good thing that's going to come out of this for us as a body, it's going to be this, a greater appreciation for the fellowship we can enjoy face to face. I may be a person that doesn't want to be touched. I don't like being touched. I'm kind of like monk, don't touch me. And he's kind of the new normal now, isn't he? But I want to tell you something. I enjoy face-to-face fellowship. I enjoy being with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul longed for that. It's interesting that as he's referring to this longing, he says, even as I recall your tears. Paul doesn't allude to, to the occasion here. He doesn't tell us what he's referring to. But we can say this with confidence. With ministry comes tears. Just like we can say, you guys will love this, with children come tears. We could even say with children comes pain, right? But with with children comes tears, right? I mean, raising three boys, I had tears, they had tears. You know why they had tears? Because I spanked them. But I had tears. I grieved many times when they were in my home. I remember taking our oldest to college. And the tears were flowing in the van on the way home. If you haven't experienced that, parents, it's coming. And you can try to be, if you're the father, try to be a macho guy. But the reality is you miss them too. And then we took our second son to college, and boy, the tears were flowing. And then our third son to college, and the tears were flowing. And I think the tears were flowing then, not only because we were leaving our youngest son at school, but now Teresa had me all by herself. I think the tears were multiple reasons for her, that last son. But ministry brings with it tears. You remember what we just read in Acts? You don't need to go back there. But I'll read it to you. Because I want you to know that this is not just some um, 
off-the-wall thought. But listen to what Paul writes. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with what? Tears. Ministry is painful. It's painful. By the way, if you're doing ministry right, you're involved with people. And listen, sometimes it's painful to be with people. Things go on in their lives that are hurtful. Paul said it again down in verse 36 of that same chapter. In chapter 20, he says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud. They embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him. Things we can't do now. We can't embrace. We can't kiss. Grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. There it is. More evidence. Face-to-face fellowship. There is not replacement for that. I'm sorry. There's just not. And Paul longed to see the one that he invested his time in, that he had put energy into, that he taught. He wanted to be with him. He knew, as we've said many times and will continue to say, he knew he was on the brink of death. He knew how important it was to hand down these things. That Timothy would walk faithful of the call. That he would walk worthy of the Lord. Well, not only does the apostle tell us that he longed to be with him, but he tells us why. Look at this. He tells us why. Why did he long to be with Timothy? He longed to be with him. Look what it says. He wanted to be filled with joy. It tells us in the word here. Even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. I want to see you so I'll be filled with joy, Paul says. The word joy there means to rejoice. It means to delight in. It's an attitude of contentment. But there's a word there in the, in, 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 in the verse that's really critical to this idea of being filled with joy. And it's the word filled. The word filled means to move along. It means to move along. And it's an interesting picture. The picture is of a sailboat being moved along or carried along by the wind. So this is what Paul is saying. Paul wanted to be carried along or moved along in his life by joy. With joy. That's what he wanted to happen. He wanted to be carried along with joy. And how would that happen? Seeing him face to face. Warren Wiersbe makes this comment about joy. He says, joy is that inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outside circumstances. It's that inward peace. I mean, how many people today in our world are looking for peace? They're looking for it. They're like, where's peace? You know, they're, they're, I mean, I've seen pictures this last week on Facebook of, of people, I guess they're posting, they're taking pictures of themselves, but just in tears, grieving over what's going on. Longing for peace. Donald Campbell, who was the third president of Dallas Seminary, wrote this. 
Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which those who abide in Christ experience. Let me read that again. Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which those who abide in Christ experience. Paul equates joy here with being able to see him, Timothy, face to face. So, you look at the first part of this and we see a thankful apostle who had characteristics in his life that are certainly worth mentioning. A thankful apostle who served faithfully, who had a clear conscience, who prayed continually, who longed to see the man that he had invested in knowing that that investment brought with it some tears. But not only was he a thankful apostle, the Bible tells us he was a thoughtful apostle. Notice what it says, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. What's Paul referring to here? He's thinking back on what? The life of Timothy. On the legacy in his family. You know, and the legacy is the legacy of faith. That's what it says here. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I was privileged to know both of my grandmothers. Grandma Blunt, Grandma Almond. Both of them knew the Lord. My mom, blessed to be with my mom for many years. A godly woman. And that was handed down generation to generation. One of the vivid pictures I have of my mother when I was living in the house years ago was walking into the living room and seeing her sitting on the end of the couch, her Bible opened, and her reading the Bible. Sometimes I'd walk in, she'd be reading the Bible. Sometimes I'd walk in, she'd be praying. But you know how often that was? Every day. Every day. She handed down to me, not only verbally, right, but she handed down to me non-verbally, just through her example, that her commitment was to Christ. And it's interesting to me that Paul is referring back to Timothy's family legacy. I mean, his father was Greek. Many theologians assumed then that he didn't belong to the Lord. But his mother and his grandmother did, and they handed it down. So I have to ask you a question. How are you doing handing down your faith? Now, let me make this statement right up front. We can't save our children. So you understand what I'm saying? We're handing down our faith. We're handing down not only the things that we speak verbally about Jesus Christ and Him being the way, the truth, and the life, but we're also handing down to our children the things that we do. They're seeing our actions. 
They're seeing us live out the Christian life. And so it, it is very important that when we talk about handing down our faith, that means we're teaching our children. You know, I have to be honest with you. I, I think that what happened to me over the years, you know, we had our first son and I had a second son and I had a third son, and it was just like overwhelming. I mean, I all these kids in the house, and, and Lord, I know what you tell me I need to do, and, and maybe you've had that as well, and you felt, man, this is just overwhelming to think that I am the spiritual leader of my home. And I've had people show up in my office over the years saying, hey, Thad, how does that look? If I'm the spiritual leader of my home, I mean, am I going to preach to them like you preach to us? Well, no. I think the best thing I've ever heard was from Peter Harold years and years ago when I was sitting in his class, and I honestly don't remember what class it was, but I remember what he said. He said, you can have devotions with your children, and you need to, but it needs to be natural. Does that make sense? In other words, it's not just this forced family time of 30 minutes, and then I've checked off the list, I'm, I'm a spiritual leader. No, 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 no. It's this living in their lives with them, doing life with them, so that every opportunity I have to teach them God's Word, that's what I'm doing. So whether I'm at a, a baseball game, right, or whether I'm at uh, a, a play and I'm watching kids perform and, and questions come up and questions arise, I have answers, godly answers. That's what separates godly answers. Timothy was privileged to have a family heritage that was godly. You may be sitting there this morning in your living room or dining room or even here at the building, and you're thinking, I didn't grow up like that. My parents never talked about the Lord. I never saw any evidence that they belonged to the Lord. You know, there are people like that. They grow up in non-Christian homes, and they get saved, and, and they don't. I mean, this legacy thing is like foreign. You know what I say to you? Start it. Start it. You may even be in a home where it's kind of stopped. And you have a wayward mother or father who's living in sin. And you're like, ah, hey, you keep going. You stay the course. This issue of sincere faith is an important one to talk about for a minute. Sincere faith describes that which is not hypocritical, but genuine. If there's any one thing that this generation is looking for today, listen to me. They are looking for authentic people, genuine people. Don't try to be something you're not. You know what's so awesome? If you're a believer in Christ and you're every day living to the glory of the Lord, it's just going to ooze out of you. If you're walking word, the Lord is going to ooze out of you. You're not going to have to plan something. It's not, I'm going to plan to be spiritual today. You know, you're just going to be living your life to the glory of the Lord because you're changed. You're a different person. People in our culture today are looking for genuine. Role-playing in Greek culture vivid, vividly captured hypocrisy. This is how that word is used. In the Greek theater, actors in a play would put on masks to hide their real identity. Deception is certainly a central part of hypocrisy. 
So it brings up the question, who are you really? You know, when you are away from here, which you are now, and you're away from people at work, and you're away from people at play, who are you really? Do you have a mask on? Are you genuine? Like what Wayne Barber says about Timothy's faith. He says, Timothy's faith was without play acting. And this must have brought great joy to the heart of the apostle. Timothy was the real thing. He was the real thing. He was genuine. I remember I was at a Chinese restaurant one time. I didn't get the real thing. I got fake chicken. I even went up to the counter after we ate. My boys are witnesses to this. They were with me. For some reason, Teresa wasn't with me. Probably had to feed him. It was probably a Sunday, and the ladies were doing something, and I had to come up with a meal. And so I said, let's go eat Chinese. And we get to this place we hadn't been to before. And I don't know that I did this right, but I went up to the front counter. I said, that wasn't real chicken today. Not sure what it was, but it wasn't chicken. It wasn't the real thing. That ever happened to you where you've taken a bite into something? You go, that's not the real thing. I mean, do we really know what we're eating when we go through Taco Bell? Do we really know? Right? I mean, so when we were there that day, I'm like, that wasn't the real thing. There's no Chinese place like the palace. If you haven't eaten there, you're probably dreaming about that right now because you can't go there and eat. But that's the real thing. I have another illustration. This happened with the staff. We were up at the palace one time celebrating a birthday. And they bring out their egg rolls, which I love. Their egg rolls set them apart. Well, they gone to these frozen little egg rolls, and my mouth, my taste buds could tell. It wasn't the real thing. In fact, I was very nice about it, but I went up and I said, these egg rolls are different. Are y'all making different egg rolls? She said, yeah, well, lately we've been doing some others. I was like, oh, let me just tell you in love. We need the real thing. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Hey, hey, listen. Timothy was the real thing. Wayne Barber says, Timothy was the real thing. He was genuine. He was genuine. He had a sincere faith. He had a sincere faith. Well... The Apostle Paul, in these verses, writes to me maybe the unexpected. You're not necessarily expecting these words. Because the focus is not on himself. The focus is on um, being thankful and praying and Timothy's faith and his heritage. So I've given you um, three blanks to fill in, things to think about for your week. And um, I only gave you one, because you can fill in the other two, right? I gave you everything else. You fill in the other two. What are some things to think about in terms of what we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 1? I gave you the first one. Being thankful is a daily spiritual discipline. One of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to be disciplined. I mean, you think about it. I'll close with this. How many New Year's resolutions have you had over the years? I am going, right, you write them down. I am going to lose 15 pounds this year. 
I'm going to have my quiet time every day. And after a week or two, man, it's like, uh, what happened? You know what, guys? I'm just here to tell you, because we're all in the same boat, discipline's difficult. You know what it is? Discipline, and this is, I think, the best definition. Discipline is surrendering ourselves. We have to do. That's why we sing songs like, All to Thee I Surrender. (laughs) All to Thee I Surrender. Lord, if I am going to maintain these disciplines, I have to surrender to you. I don't know about you, but it's encouraging to me to read a section like that where you look at a guy and you look at his circumstances and you go, wow, these are not the greatest circumstances. But to see his focus being on the Lord and what the Lord desired for his life is an encouragement to me and I trust that it's an encouragement to you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much. Um, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's alive, it penetrates. Um, Lord, everybody seems to be looking for answers as we go through this different time. It's a crisis. And... um, Every day we're being bombarded with news and we see these things going on in our country and around the world and, and um, it just raises a lot of questions, a lot of questions and, and just very few answers. But um, Lord, I'm just thankful to know that, that you are on the throne and that you see everything going on. You know us full well. And we may be the generation that sees the rapture, that experiences that. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome? We may be that generation. There may just be this little time of mercy where you're allowing people to call upon you. But then here comes your coming and your judgment. Van and I were talking this morning. I mean, COVID-19 has been rough. We acknowledge that. We see the death that it's brought, the crisis it's brought to people's families. But as we were talking, we were like, this is a crisis. It is. And it's hurtful, and it is. But when our Lord Jesus comes for his church... Subsequent to that is Revelation 6. And judgment begins here on earth. And they'll be running to the caves. And they'll be wanting to die. Death will be a better option. So Lord, right now in this time of mercy, I pray that we would have the the mind to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that we wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and I just pray that we would have the mind of being able to help others through this crisis 
and that we would not back away or shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. I thank you for the example of Paul. He was a thankful man and he was a thoughtful man. <laughs> Great qualities. Lord, I just thank you that we can read your word and study it. I pray that it would be a habit in our lives and that you would cause us to be more aware now of our neighbors and that as we have opportunities to share, we would take those opportunities. As we close our service in song, I pray that you would be honored and you'll be glorified through the song and you have been, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.
just took one look at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous of a couple of things before we uh, dismiss. Um, the first being the next Sunday, remember, is Easter Sunday, and uh, we are going to uh, begin our service next week. I've got a book I'm going to be reading to the children, um, so you make sure that the children are around um, the television or however you guys are watching that. Um, Buddy Seal, you can even participate in that children's book if you'd like to. I'll read it to you as well. Um, so make sure next Sunday you have your kids close by as we begin our service. And then also, at the end of our service, we'll be having uh, the Lord's Supper together to remember the death of our Lord and what He's done for us. So you come ready next Sunday uh, to worship the Lord uh, together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together today. And uh, indeed, you're the only one worthy. Um, only one worthy. Thank you so much for our time together, and we pray, Lord, that we would um, be faithful this week to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we have opportunity, and I want to close our service by praying for those uh, doctors and nurses that are on the front lines, and we thank you, Lord, so much for them, and we pray for their protection, and Lord, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, stories of how your gospel has been uh, spread throughout this time, and people coming to know you, and so... We just uh, commit our day to you. May we honor you. May we walk worthy of the call. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.